Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. From AccuWeather.com, this is Everything Under the Sun. I'm your host, Dean DeVore, and this is our weekly podcast from AccuWeather, where we interweave information and stories and expertise from our meteorologists here at AccuWeather. And I try to use my network of friends and experts in many fields and many disciplines from around our nation and around the world. And what our goal is, is to inform you of how you can weatherproof your life. We break up the show into series and we're in the middle of our winter series, how you can try to make sure that you are prepared to meet the challenges of winter weather that in some parts of the country kind of calm down here as we get to the midpoint of meteorological winter. This is episode six of our winter series. And coming up, one thing that we have been kind of lacking is a really huge Arctic outbreak. We see those at times. We get little ones at times as well here in the lower 48 of the United States, but other parts of the world don't see them as often. There have been signs recently that we are in the verge of another big polar outbreak in some parts of the world. We've got a a new round of what we call a sudden stratospheric warm-up. It is going to affect the polar vortex and will likely send some really cold air down over the next few weeks into parts of the world. One of the challenges has been who exactly is going to get the most of that here in the next couple of weeks. And there is so much to learn about this phenomenon that causes these cold air plunges down to us here in the lower latitudes. And so much that is misunderstood. And some of it goes back to our podcast topic last week where we talked about communication. And so I kind of want to communicate with you about this phenomenon and have you learn about it. So we're going to do that here this week. At the end of our podcast, we always take some time to take a look at the weather itself and give you a blueprint for the weekend ahead and that upcoming week beyond with so many important things to come here in the next several days. So my friends, without further ado, it's time to talk about everything under the sun. Again, in our episode last week when we were talking about uh, weather and communication and the advancement of it, uh, Tyler and I were talking about how one of the amazing things that we've seen in our lifetime is the uh, kind of real sophistication of Americans and the folks in the United States when it comes to weather because of the quality of the weather presentation. Now, sometimes for us as meteorologists, we can get a little frustrated because some of the jargon that we have thrown around in the past to maybe impress those who we're talking to through the television or the radio kind of gets recycled through the media and is sometimes misapplied. And for me, The polar vortex has been one of those issues that has kind of been a pet peeve of mine to try to try to help educate because I I hear things like the polar vortex is going to come in and strike the Northeast. And 
that's really not how all this works. So I kind of summarized it in the beginning section there, what uh, will take place in the next segment when we bring in AccuWeather's long-range expert, Paul Pasolak, is I'll get him to kind of really break it down and talk more about the mechanics of it. And then we'll talk about the implications for the United States. But one of the places when we've seen some of these signs of this sudden stratospheric warm-up that we thought might get the brunt of this cold air was uh, in the Great Britain and area and also in Europe. They had a round of this back in 2018 that they called the Beast from the East, meaning that really deep, cold Siberian Arctic air comes right over the top and into Great Britain. And, you know, their climate in the winter is a lot different than the uh, United States. We get some incursions of Arctic air, maybe not always the big ones, but we get one or two at least a year. Uh, but uh, folks in Great Britain, when they get that, the way the climate is set up during the winter, it can mean massive problems, as you'll hear uh, in our first segment, as we bring in one of my dear friends now, Dr. Liz Bentley, Chief Executive of the Royal Meteorological Society. You remember that AccuWeather and RMETs have uh, partnered in the past to help uh, produce and sponsor the uh, Weather Photographer of the Year contest, and we just did that recently. But uh, Liz is going to join me to talk about uh, this cold air that's aimed, it looks like, at Great Britain, and also some amazing research that has come out just in the last week or so that may help us understand this. Liz Bentley from Armets joins us now on Everything Under the Sun. Liz, first of all, Happy New Year. Um, it's great to talk to you. Um, you know, our partnership with our Mets has been amazing and we've been enjoying that here over the last year or so. So great to, great to see and hear from you. I wish we were talking in things that weren't so drastic, but there is a, an amazing cold snap coming and it looks like a lot of it centered on Europe and Great Britain here with something that we're going to talk about in depth here today on Everything Under the Sun. It's the sudden stratospheric warm-up. That's one thing you hear a lot. You also hear the terminology polar vortex and then result of that, which it's kind of weird in the head because you think sudden warm up in the stratosphere or the atmosphere, why would that translate into some of the coldest temperatures we see? So we're going to talk with Paul Paslock in a bit about that in terms of the uh, dynamics of it. But I think it tends to affect uh, Great Britain and Europe more than the United States because we get frequent incursions of Arctic air here. And because of where uh, Great Britain is geographically, I think it's more consequential there because you guys are in the Gulf Stream and don't get as cold longer stretches during the winter. So with that backdrop, uh, you guys getting ready for what I guess we're calling Beast of the East 2, which refers to uh, the, the last event in 2018, January 2018 was horrible. And that was called Beast from the East. And this is the second version coming here. Yeah, that's right. So um, the media here in the UK brought this term beast from the east uh, and it was widely used during that 2018 event as we were drawing in air all the way from Siberia in Russia really cold air at this time of year and it sat with us for you know a good 10 days nearly two weeks and we saw sub-zero temperatures you know nighttime and daytime but we also had lots of snowfall which is a bit more unusual for us in the UK. And, and so the media here get really excited when there's even a flake of snow in the forecast. It doesn't have to be a covering. And so this sudden stratospheric warming event, which often is uh, an indicator that we're going to see cold weather here in the UK, maybe two or even three weeks ahead, um, they've been interested in this story for the last week and, and will continue really until maybe this, this event starts to show, show its face really here in the UK. 
So, and one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you, Liz, is there has been some research done by uh, the universities of Bristol, Exeter, and Bath, and they have now have a new way of looking at this to try to be able to to come up with a better forecast of on when this is going to happen. And I know that uh, you and our Mets work with them. So maybe talk a little bit about that. They've made some great strides in predicting these huge events. Yeah, that's right. A really interesting study. So it was published only last week. And again, the timing of the current sudden stratospheric warming as it was taking place almost within 24 hours of that happening. So it got quite a lot of media interest here in the UK as well. But yeah, they were looking at um, sudden stratospheric warming events that have happened over the last uh, 60 years or so, really since records began. Uh, And the frequency of these events and the the activities that lead to stratospheric warming events. We have frequent minor events. So you might get maybe two, maybe three minor stratospheric warming events in any winter season, but particularly these major events that tend to happen, uh, you know, for us probably they're happening about once every two years. I think they were saying there were like six every 10 years. That's what that study showed. So typically one every two years you're getting. They, they tend to, not always, but tend to lead to these really cold events at the surface. Um, we lose the, the influence of the jet stream here in the UK, which tend to bring in milder westerly flow of air off the Atlantic and the weather system. So the, the milder, wetter winters, and they tend to lead to the really cold, harsh winters, which you know we don't see that often in the UK. So when there's a chance of these things happening, then, as I say, the media here just get very excited about it. So yeah, really interesting paper. And as I say, the time perfect as we're in the middle of this major stratospheric warming event. So the end result here looks like it's going to be two to four weeks of intense cold and maybe a week or so in the middle of that. Some, Like you said, sometimes these get to be parceled out. So there's there could be two pushes, right? So it's one big push that when you look at it over a three or four week period, but in the middle of that, there may be two little separate pushes. How are folks getting ready for that in in, in Great Britain? Is it is it with G and uh, glee and jolliness or is it more of uh, dread and, and, and saying, oh, here we go again. 2020 was bad, but 2021 winter is going to be even worse. Yeah, I guess mixed. Uh, some people when snow is in the forecast, get really excited I guess it takes us back to our kind of childhood and you know being able to go out and school was closed and we could go sledging and build snowmen other people dread snow in the forecast you know the fact that it brings so much disruption here in the UK because we are not geared up for snow we don't have the infrastructure and uh, equipment here because we don't get it very often so uh, we don't have that in place and it brings us to a standstill and so people have to move about at all commuting to work train travel you know road airports uh, all of that just comes to a grinding halt and so it's that kind of love-hate relationship I think in this country some of us get very excited I personally do, some don't. And I guess the other thing is managing expectations, because the other thing this study showed is that it increases the likelihood of these really cold conditions, but it's certainly not certain. So, I, you know, it's about a 60 to 70 percent likelihood that we'll get this cold event. And it's managing the media's expectation because they hear this and they think it's definitely coming. And, and so there's a 30 percent chance, 30, 40 percent chance it may not come. And particularly this year being a La Nina year, We often find at the end of our winter season in a La Nina year, it leads to these more milder southwesterly flow. Um, So we've got two things kind of conflicting against each other at the moment. So the jury's out. Uh, It's certainly showing the signal, but mm, it's just managing the expectation of particularly those who want the snow in this this country to be mindful that, well, there's a good chance it may not happen as well. 
And and sometimes the models uh, initially, and I'm going to talk to Paul about this, show the air colder early on in the modeling going forward than once you get to reality. I mean, we were already kind of adjusting up our forecasts here for the eastern seaboard here this weekend and early next week. I mean, it looked really cold just a week ago. The numbers were just really uh, below freezing for a few days, and now those numbers have come up. So yeah, it's a lot of adjustment, but at least with this study and and further studies, we can kind of uh, hone in on this a little bit more. Um, Anything else going on over across the pond here as we start the new year? I know uh, we're excited to continue to work with you on some things how uh, what what are some other things that are going on in Europe that uh, is noteworthy here as we start the year yeah I guess the, the big thing for us here in the UK is we've got the the cop taking place in Glasgow at the end of the year so the the conference of the parties and obviously a big climate change conference climate change is high on the agenda and and I guess for you guys as well with you know the the change in president and Biden stepping in and his focus I guess back on climate change which you know hasn't been there with with the kind of Trump years. Uh, it'll be an interesting year. So for, for us in the UK, there's a lot of um, you know media interest in, in the COP. It's taking place, as I say, here at the end of the year. And there'll be a lot of events and activities as, as we move forward. So, you know, government ministers are kind of coming out quite publicly. We've had lots of pledges, you know, 10-point plans coming out. So there's a lot of interest in, in climate change in the UK at the moment, mainly because of COP. Really appreciate Liz spending time with us. You can learn more about the amazing Royal Meteorological Society and all its good works at rmets.org, rmets.org. You can go to the archives there and look back at the Weather Photographer of the Year and our friend Tyler Roy's in his presentation during their Weather Live segment. Again, that was back in last November. Uh, Again, appreciate Liz's presence here today. And we're going to uh, bring on in our next segment when we come back our long-range uh, senior forecaster, Paul Pastelock, who will break down the mechanics of this whole sudden stratospheric warm-up, polar vortex, and release of really cold air, and also some unintended consequences to actually create warmer temperatures in places because of the rush of cold air and others. It's an interesting phenomenon. We'll continue to break it down. The polar vortex and Arctic air outbreaks... You're listening to Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Listen to Weather Insider every weekday for a discussion on trending weather news with me, Bernie Reno, and Evan Myers. You'll get detailed insight into major weather events and learn the why behind the weather. Just subscribe to Weather Insider on your favorite podcast platforms today. Welcome back to Everything Under the Sun. I'm your host, Saki, with a meteorologist, Dean DeVore, and I certainly am very privileged to be able to host this podcast with the resources of the great expertise here at AccuWeather. The premise of this week's episode of Everything Under the Sun here in the heart of meteorological winter is to explain in detail and educate on how we get these massive intrusions of Arctic cold air. You hear things like sudden stratospheric warm-up and polar vortex and Arctic blast and outbreak. And what does it all mean and how does it work? One of my great friends and one of my colleagues who I respect dearly is our senior meteorologist, our lead U.S. long-range forecaster at AccuWeather, Paul Pastelock, who joins me to talk about the mechanics of this phenomenon of sudden stratospheric warm-up, polar vortex, and the release of very cold air to the lower latitudes, and what he believes is going to happen over the next couple of weeks as we take an in-depth look at the U.S. long-range forecast here over the next month or two. Paul Pasolok joins me now on Everything Under the Sun. 
First of all, Paul, happy new year to you. It's uh, always good to talk to you about long range stuff, but I also wanted to get your uh, handle on this because there's others of us in the office that agree that I think you have one of the best uh, handles on this and how to explain this. So, so let's start. I'm going to try to give you, as a, a meteorologist, how I would try to explain this in some ways to the layperson. So the one thing that gets me caught up is when I hear polar vortex being used incorrectly, because there's always a polar vortex, right? Oh. There's always... So if, if to me, Paul, right, if you're looking from top down on the Earth, right, you're looking directly over the North Pole. There's a, a current of air, a, a vortex of air, a circulation of air that's going around that, okay? Um, and that is what holds in the truly bitter, coldest Arctic air. It really kind of holds that in place basically over that polar region, right? So what happens is when that vortex weakens, that's when some of that really, really bad, bad, cold, polar arctic terrible air escapes that region and starts dropping southward now what we've been learning is that it's a cause and effect that we can get that weakness by and this is where i think it gets all jumbled in people a sudden stratospheric warm-up so you have something that's warming but yet it's producing a, a, a reaction that creates all this cold and I think all of that gets jumbled up. So, so what we hear in the media sometimes is, oh, the polar vortex is coming. Well, it's not necessarily that the polar vortex itself is coming. The result of the weakening of the polar vortex and the cold air is what is coming. Did I do a pretty good job with that? You did. And there are times where we get the polar vortex to do a split uh, where a piece will come pretty far south into southern Canada over the top and will sit there. And that's that could be a problem. That's why there are two differences uh, when you talk about polar vortex being disrupted. There is a displacement where the polar vortex is not centered anymore over the pole, but it's still together, but it's just kind of expanded and stretched. Just simplistically, the uh, spinning top, the center of it being over the pole, that center of circulation can kind of come down towards the mid-latitudes a little bit rather than sit over directly at the top of the, the North Pole. That's correct. What ends up happening is there is kind of a, you know, we talk about blocking. There is a block going on over the pole where it's not allowing that displaced vortex to move uh, once it gets in place. And that's why these events can take longer periods. Now, if we were to stretch that enough and break off a couple pieces from the polar vortex, then those pieces would have a longer duration of time to try to get back over the polar region and consolidate once again. So we, we believe, and a lot of the research shows, that a worse event is when you get a split to occur right. because it's a longer duration of cold and intense cold in one in some places it could be warmer and drier uh, in other places and so the pattern just doesn't move for almost thirty to forty five days uh, it could be that long um, that or maybe even longer sometimes two months that we could be dealing with um, that kind of situation this one to us and I know there's been some arguments uh, on on there on what kind of vortex we're de- dealing with to us here at our team we see it as a displacement 
And a displacement means that the vortex does will have an opportunity to try to strengthen back over the pole again um, at some point, and that will ease back the threat of intense cold coming down down the road. But we got to get through the cold first before we start talking about recovery. One is displacement, and then the other is split. Is that kind of like what we see when the jet stream itself over the lower 48 splits and we get different segments of air, you know, really cold, colder, and then not as cold? Or is this more that the flow, which, you know, can be confined into that circle or that kind of that vortex, parts of it kind of expand or contract, so you get different regions getting different effects? Is that what you're talking about? I think in a displacement, you can still get more movement. The air masses could come places like, uh, can come first like in Asia and then transfer farther east. That's why you see a little more movement in any given spot, and that's why it doesn't last as long. I think when you have the split, that a lot of times that tendency, that split doesn't move. Kind of like an upper-level cutoff low in the springtime just kind of sits there and keeps the weather bad in one spot but nice in another spot. So I, I think that's what you're looking at there. Dean, I kind of want to go back to what you were talking about, the sudden stratospheric warming. Right, because isn't that isn't that the genesis of this? Is this always the genesis of either a a, a movement or a split of, of the uh, of the polar vortex, the sudden stratospheric warm up? It's one of the most important features of it to get it started. This last one that we saw, uh, the energy that was, uh, you know, that sh- shot up all the way into the upper stratospheric level, uh, the temperature rose in uh in a short period of time 50 degrees and it was intense and that is enough to disrupt the strong westerly flow around the polar vortex that keeps that cold you know intact around the polar region up above and when that happens you get this buckling of the flow pattern in the upper levels and that's what allows the the air mass to escape from the stratospheric level from the stratospheric level down to the troposphere that we live in. So that distance is a very long distance, 30 to 50,000 miles. You're talking a long distance to get down. That's why when we say here's a sudden stratospheric warming taking place, which took place around the January 3rd, 4th, why isn't the cold here now? Well, it is in some parts for other reasons, but it takes almost like 10 to 14 days to get from the upper stratosphere all the way to the mid-latitude. So that sudden stratospheric warming is the Kickstarter. And then there's other things that have to come into play as well. So it looks like we are entering a phase now in the uh, upper Midwest, Great Lakes, into the Northeast, where we're going to see some really bigger incursions of colder air. Now, it's funny because I was talking to Liz about this a week ago. It looked like this first shot was really bad. I mean, it looked uh, like the the numbers that we were going to realize for this coming week in the Northeast and the Great Lakes were really low. Then over this past week or so, it looks like the aim of that core of the coldest air is a little, what, farther east now than what we were thinking or isn't coming down as far. So it's interesting to look at this and 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 have to figure out the models because sometimes it actually may be translating that the models are telling us it's colder than it really will be, or maybe they're not showing it's cold enough. So how do we kind of wade through that here over the next week or two? As of this recording, <laughs> the models have now gone back to the cold. And that's just one forecast model that I just saw. It's just that they have not been able to handle this SSW very good. And and a lot of times 
you got to keep in mind too, people here in the United States and North America, it, you can get a stratospheric warming event of this magnitude and yet not be affected. We've seen that in the past. It went on. It, it can go on the other side of the globe. It can go there. It's more likely that Europe and North America would get hit if you look at the history of past sudden stratospheric warmings of this magnitude. But the conditions were all there. I mean, everyone was looking at this massive upper level high and over Greenland, which causes blocking that would force this cold to come in one direction from Western Canada to the East Coast. Yeah, we'll only have one way to go if it can't go eastward. It's got to right. go south, right? Right. And then the modeling just backed off of that idea. And the last couple of days was saying, yes, we'll get little spurts of Arctic air coming down behind systems from time to time. But we're going to push everything into Western Canada and Northern Rockies as we head toward the end of January, early February. But then if you look at the other parts of the globe, they're already being affected, Dean. Beijing saw one of their coldest temperatures in 50 years uh, just recently at minus nine. Wow. And the departures in Asia and uh, Western Europe have been unbelievable. They've been way, way below normal. So we're seeing some effects already, maybe not the full extreme of it yet, but we're already starting to see some impacts from this sudden stratospheric warming event. So, Paul, when we look at these SSWs, I think the message is not every two are alike. You know, we just talked. So in the UK now, they're calling this uh, apparent bad one the beast from the east, too. This goes back to, as we talked about with Liz, 2018, when they had the really bad one. But then the following winter, there was a, an SSW that actually created a warm-up. They were unseasonably warm in February. So I guess what I'm saying and you're saying is the message is, you know, in, in meteorology, we'd like to have total cause and effect all the time. Every SSW or sudden stratospheric warming event is not the same. And we got to judge each as we go through each forecast period. Absolutely. And and even the, the, the best minds at this, uh, Dr. Judah Cohen studies this quite often. You know, even himself, we, we I can read his columns and 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 we communicate and you can see that he's also had some, you know, troubles in the past as far as trying to pinpoint exactly where these uh, you know, results will be because we're still waiting one to two weeks out for what's going to happen. So we see it verifying. But again, what's the results and where does it happen? And it also relates to the pattern at uh, the tropospheric level as well. Remember, we're in a La Nina pattern. Right. The Northwest is still getting pounded. They're getting hit. And that's what's supposed to be happening. If you look at the uh, sea surface temperature anomalies, that's all working out. And that has an effect on progression. How, how long will the air mass stay in place? That's also a measure of how cold and how strong result of an SSW can be a sudden stratospheric warming event. In, in addition to you got to look at the uh, look at the water temperatures off the northeast coast right now. They're running right. way above normal. Cold air has had a hard time making it to the east. And so things are kind of going against this despite the latest model that I just saw showing all the cold coming around the 26th, 27th toward New York City and Philadelphia. That may be wrong. And this is what we're dealing with here as forecasters. These 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 operational models some of the ensembles are just not good enough, but some of the researchers, they have other things that they're looking at. And that's why it's important to continue with the research, continue listening to the experts out there as well. And these, these guys, you know, they play the scenarios just perfectly for us. And I, and I do feel that, we, you know, we're seeing what people were saying. We weren't quite sure everything would come to North America. 
that some would go to Asia, some would go to Europe. And that's what's happening right now. Paul, let's just break that down here as we wrap up with you. What are your thoughts now over the next three or four weeks for uh, the lower Mm -hmm. 48? Just some trends. And as I think you hit on some of that, staying stormy in the Northwest and now, how cold does it get over the next couple of weeks in the north, uh, northern plains, northern uh, the, the the Great Lakes, and over to the northeast of New England? Well, we adjusted our temperatures. Originally, we had 15 to 30 below normal on daily peak days uh, coming in after the 20th of January. We've uh, backed off about a day or two on the arrival of the main Arctic air. There could be a, a little bit of Arctic air that skips out toward eastern Canada and the northeast between the 19th and 21st okay. of January. But the main stuff waits until after the 21st, coming down through the Northern Plains, Midwest, and then heading into the east and modifying somewhat. So 10 to 20 below normal, a good possibility in the north. Farther east, I'm not quite sure yet, Dean. Uh, To be honest with you, it's a very difficult call. I'm worried about the way the water temperatures are at. I'm worried about the storm track. It makes it very difficult to see how um, cold it can get. But I, I do know that it's coming in more waves behind systems than it is as one solid air mass that just sticks for about you know a week to 10 days. And that gets more concerning along the eastern seaboard because when you bring in cold air and waves like that, it generates storms. So if, exactly. you, if you lock the cold air in place, you're probably going to get some clippers and some light snow and a lot of wind and cold. But if, if you're kind of uh, vacillating that and not getting it all the way to the coast. Yeah, that could be problematic here as we go through the next couple of weeks. So certainly things that we're going to have to uh, to watch out for. Anything else that we should be looking for in the in the in the short long term here in the next couple of weeks, Paul, as we uh, start to put the uh, finishing touches on winter itself? Well, I don't want to I don't want to leave out the West a little bit because we talked about this big, bad storm that's they're getting hit uh, as we're recording this. But they are going to ease back. They're actually going to see some warmer weather and some drier weather from Oregon on south. And that's another reflection. Not everyone gets cold, but I think toward the end of January and early February, they may start to see cold. It may even snow down to Seattle and Portland at some point uh, during this Arctic uh, outbreak. So I do feel things will change drastically out in the Northwest and the Western U.S., Uh, towards the end of January. One more note too, Dean, keep in mind, folks, you know, we don't get one every year there. We get about an average of six per decade on these sun and strata. So there's some research done, but there's more to be done. We're still learning as much as you guys are learning. So every time we see a different one, like you were mentioning before, Dean, they're different. So we're trying to figure out exactly when this happens, what happens after that and try to get a pattern going. We need more data, basically, is what it is. And I think well, that hopefully will- that this uh, research that they did uh, in the UK uh, starts to take hold. And again, it was pretty exciting that that was coming out as we get on the verge of one of these uh, major events caused by what we've seen in the sudden stratospheric warm up over the last couple of weeks. Paul, thanks so much for being with us today. Yeah, great to be on. I want to thank Paul and his entire team for their hard work and dedication here at AccuWeather, that long range forecasting team. I mean, Certainly, the short-term forecast is important to individuals, but long-range forecasting is mega important now to business and agriculture and so many things, and Paul and his team do such an amazing job. We'll check in with him as we get later on in the winter, as we get ready for spring and some early peaks at summer. So we're going to take a little shorter view of the weather Talk about whether or not the the sudden stratospheric warm-up, polar vortex shift or split or anything like that's going to happen. 
But more importantly, how's your weekend going to be? It's certainly going to be different for some places as there is some cold air on the move back down into places that had a little bit of a January thaw. We'll talk to Bill Dager about the upcoming weekend and the week ahead here on Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Whether you're at home getting ready for work, packing the kids' lunch, or commuting, listen to AccuWeather Daily. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, and you'll get the top trending weather story of the day every day. Welcome back to Everything Under the Sun. I'm AccuWeather meteorologist Dean DeVore as we get ready for the middle weekend of January. After a a little bit of a January thaw, we're looking at uh, some return to colder air for the uh, Great Lakes in the Northeast as we get into the next uh, several weeks. And as uh, my friend and meteorologist Bill Dager from AccuWeather joins me here in our final segment. Bill, we've been talking this episode about uh, this situation that we've been hearing a lot about with uh, the sudden stratospheric warming event that leads to uh, movement of the uh, polar vortex and some colder air. But it's been funny, uh, as we talked about with uh, Liz Benson and then, of course, uh, our own Paul Pasolak in the previous segment, you know, the, the models have been having a hard time handling this. We've seen a lot of cold air in places, other parts of the world, as Paul mentioned. And now it looks like we're ripe to get some of that colder air down into the Northeast Great Lakes. As we mentioned with uh, Liz, it looks like, I mean, a lot of the models say that Europe and Great Britain bear the brunt of this uh, much colder push here as we get towards the end of the month. But, um, you know, it was funny, Bill, when we looked at This weekend, we thought that there would be a really massive push of cold air into the Great Lakes in the Northeast. And then the models have been taking away that cold here a little bit at a time. So while it's definitely colder looking, it doesn't look like it's going to be as harsh as we were thinking going into this weekend and at least the early part of this upcoming week. Absolutely. Yeah, it feels like uh, the models have really been punting uh, here continuously with this cold air, and uh, it probably will uh, get a little chillier as we head into, uh, oh, it looks like uh, next week in the Midwest and the Northeast, but it's not that really severe punch of Arctic air that the models were showing a week or two ago, and it may actually not last too long either. This may be, a, you know, sort of brief shots of cold air that come in next week. So, yeah, I, I, and you just said we're we're at the halfway point of meteorological winter. This is the mm-hmm. bottom of the temperature scale. Right. It's only up from here. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, these these cold snaps, uh, uh, you know, might not last as long as we get to, into February and beyond. You've made an interesting point as we were working this week. What uh, Tuesday marks? Uh, we're only uh, this past Tuesday, so we're we're less than uh, three weeks, a little more than two weeks uh, from Groundhog Day. So we're getting there, right? Uh, things are are moving along, and uh, you know, I, I just look at the, there's there's some concerns here. So the first thing, let's talk about the Northeast this weekend. So as this drops Friday morning, we're going to see a system go from the Great Lakes and it's going to come around and it's going to start kind of rotating up into the Northeast. As we woke up here uh, and uh, the trend has been here in the last 24 hours, it looks like that area of low pressure as it moves up from uh, New York City to New England is a little deeper. And sometimes that scares me a little bit because that can be a trend as we get closer to the event itself where this uh, area of low pressure can kind of strengthen a little bit more. I think that's going to be a big key, but folks should be prepared for some good slugs of rain along the I-95 corridor, especially New York City eastward, and then that goes up into Boston. So for later Friday, Friday night into Saturday, it's going to get pretty wet in some of those areas. 
Yeah, absolutely. We're looking at about one to two inches of rain, probably New York City on north and east into southern and eastern New England. That happens, like you said, I think later Friday night into Saturday. And then across the interior, there could be a swath of some snow as well. Now, we're expecting some snow in the higher elevations, regardless of what happens with this system. But I'm a little concerned there could be a swath of snow somewhere say, northern and northeastern Pennsylvania into uh, upstate New York, the Adirondacks, southern Canada, interior New England. Might be a little tricky there to start the weekend for travel. This is definitely, as you go through the weekend, it's one of those weekends, you know, we throw this term around, but I think you want to weatherproof your weekend, especially New York City northward, just to kind of keep an eye on that. And, uh, you know, we are heading in, not only is this the middle weekend of the year, but it's also a holiday weekend with uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day on Monday. And so it's typically a very busy time for some of the ski resorts. And certainly those in interior New England are going to get some beneficial snow here as they head into uh, this uh, last uh, gasp of a winter hero the next couple of weeks several weeks yeah and into early next week it's certainly going to be cold enough to make snow as well to, uh, to add to what fresh powder they probably will get this weekend so uh, that's some good news you know you know while we've seen you know uh, that heavy snow event in, in mid-december across portions uh, further south in new england closer to the mid-atlantic it really hasn't been a tremendous amount of snow, say, downwind of the Great Lakes into northern New England. So they're looking for whatever they can get to to kind of get their seasons uh, going here over the next few weeks. So uh, as this is dropping Friday morning, uh, there is some concern about snow in the Midwest. Uh, we're looking at uh, some snow going from places like Iowa and uh, South Dakota and Minnesota from late Thursday and then dropping down into Missouri Friday. Our friends at KMOX in St. Louis, could they've been bugging me for a little bit of snow. Uh, and so that's something that we'll be watching for Friday. Uh, but you're right. As I look at this map next week, I mean, it looks like it's, uh, you know, zonal in some ways. Uh, with some with some dips, and that's going to be the the key. Where, do, how far, and how deep do these dips of colder air go? Again, some of the models are kind of hedging their bets in terms of uh, how cold it does get. Um, looks like just a lot of, and, and and I still don't know that the models are fully realizing what could happen next week with, I don't know if they're clippers or little areas of low pressure, little waves that come through. So it'd be interesting to see. I, I just, it's been very tough to be a meteorologist of late in just terms of this, you know, we had a couple of clear cut storms early in this winter. And ever since then, things have been less than clear cut, right? As we've gone through and had a lot of looking and massaging in these forecasts as we go on a day-to-day basis. And I think that continues right over the next week or so. Yeah, we sometimes call these little annoying storms, little <laughs> annoying events, and that's that's what we have, a whole boatload of them coming up here over the next week, streaming through southern Canada, dipping into the upper Midwest, a few of them clipping the northeast as well. A few of those systems try to get down toward the southern branch uh, of the jet stream. Uh, there's one that probably gets into the southwest early next week, may bring some snow to the mountains in Arizona. And uh, we'll unfortunately make for a, a rough, uh, windy time of it in SoCal for a time. If that system tracks east uh, later next week, does it join forces with uh, something from the northern branch in the east coast? That's certainly a possibility. We're talking a couple of days after Inauguration Day later next week uh, that we'll have to keep an eye on. And speaking of that, right now, the weather looks uh, really uh, pretty decent for Inauguration Day. I mean, uh, we've seen people uh, days where it's uh, bitterly cold and seen rain right now it looks like dry weather probably the 
thermometer will say low to mid 40s with enough breeze. Real feels closer to 40. We'll keep an eye on that here over the next few days as we get closer to the midweek event. And then uh, all eyes on that possibilities uh, for next week. Any other things, uh, Bill, that stand out to you here as we look at the weather for the next uh, few several days? Well, one thing you mentioned was how close Groundhog Day is. I I looked at the calendar the other day and I was shocked to see that it was less than three weeks away. And, you know, as many people are listening to this, a little over two weeks away. So time continues to march on. And like I said, we're at the bottom of that average curve or we're getting close to the bottom. So most areas already happening out west, most areas east of the Mississippi, it's it's going up here over the next few weeks. And, you know, we're looking for that light at the end of the tunnel, right? Bill is uh, definitely, I wholeheartedly agree. As someone who communicates the weather, you know, we've been kind of spending time this episode on uh, these uh, sudden stratospheric warming and the polar vortex. And uh, it's been difficult for me at times to, to, to try to explain that to people when, some things are so counterintuitive, but that's really the weather. We warm up one part of the atmosphere and another part of it gets colder. And sometimes it doesn't always necessarily right away make sense. But once you explain it, it understands it. Any thoughts about that here as we wrap up our little segment? Well, really, it's basic physics. You make a change in one place. It has to be an opposite change in another place. Think of the atmosphere. Uh, the global atmosphere is a big fluid. If you throw something into a bathtub, there's going to be an effect elsewhere. And that's kind of, you know, basically how we can sum up things like stratospheric warming and and so forth. (laughs) Sounds like that old blood, sweat and tears song. What goes up must come down. (laughs) So we'll see that. Bill, thanks so much for being with me today. All right. Thank you. You can catch Bill Digger, Senior Meteorologist and Morning Radio Broadcaster. He has a Twitter feed. It's M-U-W-X-Guy, M-U for Millersville University, Millersville, Pennsylvania, my hometown. W-X is a little shorthand for weather in broadcasting and G-U-Y for guy, M-U-W-X-Guy, Bill Digger on Twitter. And you can also catch him. Uh, I do the mornings on WBBM in Chicago on the weekdays. And Bill Dager is primarily your weekend morning broadcaster and meteorologist on News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. Friends, it's been great to uh, spend some time with you. I hope you enjoyed this episode, which is a little bit of an indulgence for me to try to take a concept of meteorology and explain it and break it down a little more. I'd like to do more of this. There's some concepts that you'd like a little bit deeper dive into in terms of weather and climate. You can certainly email us those ideas and suggestions and questions at accuweather.podcast at accuweather.com, accuweather.podcast at accuweather. We'll be happy to read through those and share those with you. We'd also like to thank our amazing team members who've been working hard and are getting ready to work very hard. Friends, it really is going to take a lot of monitoring here. It looks like over the next several weeks as we go through the heart of this winter season. And the best way to do that is on your AccuWeather app that's been newly redesigned here in the last six months, winning all kinds of rave reviews. AccuWeather.com has in-depth stories and all kinds of uh, access to our AccuWeather network and other sources for information for you and certainly all our AccuWeather media partners and all the great radio stations I'm proud to be on. For all of our AccuWeather team members across the world and for our executive producers, Andrew Robb and Ken Prell, I'm AccuWeather meteorologist Dean DeVore. Thanks for listening. Episode 7 of our winter series is on deck next week on everything under the sun from AccuWeather.com.